Climb into the cockpit with pilot and Link Square's Chief Legal Officer, Tim Perilla, as he invites legal leaders aboard to share advice that will help you navigate even the most turbulent times of in-house counsel work. We'll cover a range of topics from data privacy to legal team structure to public company transactions and beyond. You don't want to miss this series. Fasten your seatbelt and prepare for takeoff. You're listening to Cockpit Council. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Cockpit Council. My name is Tim. I'm the Chief Legal Officer at Link Squares, and today we have with us Aaron Dunn. Aaron, welcome. Thank you so much, Tim. Happy to be here. So um, we start out every uh, every episode the same way. What is your pre-flight ritual? Pre-flight ritual. Uh, before I leave on my way out the door, I always check to make sure I have my license. For some reason, that's like a fear that's a that, good one. <laughs> uh, I, I won't have it. Um, and then I get just really wild about the water bottle because I have my own water bottle. But if you go through security with it, they'll take the water bottle from you. Yes. And if it's a nice, you know, swell water bottle, you, you want to keep that one. So I've do, had. Do they take the bottle if it's empty? Uh, no. If it's okay. empty, you're good. Okay. But if you forget to empty it out at JFK. Then, then you got to chug it. Right? Then you either have to chug it. Or at JFK, I had to go out of security, dump it out, then get back in the line, and then go through again. And okay. I was traumatized by that experience. So now <laughs> I'm like, make sure you dump out your water. Um, and then I grab a coffee, simple coffee, and yeah. hop on the flight. Um, so uh, so you're at Priority Legal, right? Uh, tell us a little bit about your your background and your journey and what's brought you to, uh, to Priority. You've had an interesting career. Yeah, it's been interesting. I came out of law school in 2010, which everyone knows was a complicated time really to be coming year. out. Yeah. yeah. So I think anyone from like 08 all the way probably through like 12 or 13 can relate yeah. to just um, the macro factors that were going on at that time. Yeah. So, you know, the um, internships and what I thought I had lined up didn't end up panning out. And so it brought me to the world of forensic accounting, which I had an accounting degree. I had enough credits to sit for the CPA exam. So I was able to sort of go out there um, with, you know, those facts. Um, and I loved it and I really enjoyed it. And I did that for a bunch of years. Uh, and after a bit of time, I tried out business valuation, went back into forensics, um, did a little bit of expert witness work where I was serving as a damages expert yeah. for um, FINRA arbitrations, and then rolled um, into an, a group that was the in-house counsel function at one of the consulting firms. So yeah. it was um, it was a really interesting journey. It was interesting to join a legal team where at the beginning it was reviewing NDAs, vendor agreements, marketing agreements, um, and really, you know, working with the business and the not exact business line that I had worked in as a consultant, but that I was generally familiar with. So yeah. that was um, that progression. And then from there, um, Priori Legal, I've been at for a year and a half. Nice. I decided um, that I was really interested in sales and business development and working closely with clients because that was my favorite part of consulting. Right. Um, and Priori gave me the opportunity to become the second salesperson on the team. Nice. And we had insane growth uh, in 2022. 
And the sales team has tripled since that time. That's awesome. So, yeah, it's been really, really fun. Um, and I think, you know, we're talking today about all different things, but one of them being pivots. And once again, I'm pivoting um, into an account management role. So nice. from traditional sales to really uh, following my customers and clients and meeting them where they are, seeing what their needs are, seeing how we can help them in more innovative ways. And so I'm really excited about this next step and to try out a whole new function. That's awesome. So are you jumping into an already existing function or are you starting the account management function there? I'm starting the account management function. So That's no, awesome. no pressure. Yeah, no pressure. You'll be, you'll be fine. I'm sure. I'm excited about it. I really like building. I, I think that that's one of the most exciting parts of business, right? Like there's a need and there's no one there to fill it. And you can either fill it from the outside or you can find the person internally who has the background experience and the will to create it. So uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, what I can do with it. Yeah, absolutely. That should be a lot of fun. Um, so tell us, maybe just tell us a little bit more about Priority Legal. We're a marketplace. Um, we say we're, we're in-house lawyers go to find, hire, and manage outside counsel for projects of all sizes. So our lawyers in our network are comprised of solo practitioners all the way through mid and boutique sized law firms. And we're really just listening to the needs of our in-house clients and finding out where they need support. So is it a hole that they're trying to fill in full time, but they can't find the right candidate? Um, is it, you know, the end of the quarter for the sales team and they're just all going nuts with all of their agreements trying to get it done and they just need flexible support. So the thing that I love about it is the flexibility and having formerly been in-house um, and I use temporary legal support when I was in-house. So I know the world, I know the pros and cons and really being able to bring that consultative approach to my clients and offer them, you know, the support that they need. I'll also say, I don't know that you and I have talked about this before, um, but our other product is Scout and that okay. Scout environment um, is for um, large corporations that ha that work with, you know, a hundred different outside law firms to really understand um, who they work with and what capacity they work with them, um, what the cost is to work with different firms and what the different service offerings are. So it's a really innovative product. I don't think there's anything out there that exists quite like Scout. Um, and we've been, um, we just won new legal company of the year at the Legal Tech Awards related to the Scout product. So that's been a fun, um, fun thing as well. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so you've been there a year and a half. How long has Priori been around? It's been around for a decade. Okay. So it, it kind of has had its different, um, different kinds of evolution where it started more um, lawyer to consumer and now it's B2B. Yeah. Um, but it's evolved over time. Our co-founders, Basha and Mira, they met at Yale Law School uh, back in 2007. And uh, this was their vision. And they have worked tirelessly uh, to bring us to this point and in Priori's story. Uh, but yeah, it's been around for a decade. That's awesome. It sounds like it sounds like you're entering a new phase of uh, of high growth, which is really exciting. It's been super fun. Yeah. So I was employee 20. Nice. I think that we are now about 50 in okay. total. So, yeah, it's yeah. been a really fun hyper growth time um, and just a, a wild experience Just bringing people in who are so excited, who really um, 
see ourselves like link squares, just a good member of the legal ecosystem, really there to support our clients and what they need, thinking ahead of, you know, what they haven't thought of yet and right. being really just um, thoughtful and um, a friend to the community. And I think you guys are very much similarly uh, minded. So, yeah. Absolutely. We're trying to be anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can always strive for more, but yeah. I, I do think that that's the fun of legal tech. It's really just being here, being a part of it, thinking about, you know, what's coming out next. What are your clients asking about? And I'm sure you hear all the time AI, ChatGPT4 yeah. and everything around that and how that can be integrated and implemented into your systems. And so we're thinking about that as well and trying to be you know, one step ahead, which is hard when there are new things coming out on a daily basis. It is. And I, I'm glad you brought that up because the the GPT-4 is interesting. And I think, you know, we're we're at this we're at this tipping point with AI where the technology is just going to start to exponentially um, get more and more sophisticated. And, you know, when we think about when we think about sort of future of AI within the legal profession, you know, I think everybody everybody should be paying close attention to it. And you know, I mean, are you are you today going to trust Chat GPT to I don't know handle really substantive like contract generation? Maybe uh, probably not without reviewing it first, though. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I would yeah. imagine. Yeah. Um, but you know, no less. I mean, being able to like I, I thought it was interesting. Like you know, being able to have the AI pass exams versus then, you know, it's one thing to pass an exam. It's another thing to actually, you know, go through with that discipline. Right. Yeah. So the, I, I think that, um, it was able to pass the bar exam, right? Is I that, think so. Yeah, yeah. I think that's it where it like was. Bar and I think it was medical. The medical boards too. I think so. Okay. Or like a part of it. Um, but yeah, I think that's a great point. So the AI, it can do a lot of interesting things and I've played around in it and, yeah. you know, show me a limitation of liability and, or explain limitation of liability to me. And right. it can, it can educate you. It can bring you information. You don't know what the source of the information is. So that's one thing where I'm a little, you know, especially with, um, when you get into the legal aspect, like different states have different laws, different applications, like what it is on paper may be different than what it is in practice. So I think that like to wrap our arms around certain issues in the law, I think it can be really helpful. Yeah. Like teach me about this, you know, rewrite it like that, use a more, you know, demanding tone. I right. You can like kind of <laughs> train it to, to do more, but is it um, is it coming for our jobs? Uh, not me, but right. in-house lawyers and legal operations professionals. Are, are we going to lose our jobs right. to AI? No, right. absolutely not. I stand firm by that. I get that yeah. question a lot from people. Like, what do you think? Um, you know, will, will this will this eliminate the need for lawyers? Maybe in a hundred years, but like right. far after the time that any of us will be in this world. I just don't think that the intricacies of the law can be sussed out by AI, not at this time. Right. Yeah, exactly. Never say never. And, you know, it it, it can get somewhere like that. But I've, I've had that question a bunch too, like, oh, you're making a product that puts lawyers out of business. And my response is, all right, well, does NetSuite put accountants out of business? 
Probably not. No. Did QuickBooks? No. No. Probably not. Paylocity put HR professionals out of business? Absolutely not. It's just a tool to help you manage your work and, and do certain things more efficiently, right? Technology enables enables you to, to do more with your time, to Absolutely. do more with your resources. And that's really the name of the game, right? Mm-hmm. Like especially in house when you're when you're dealing with limited resources, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think just simple things, right? Like sending something, sending a piece of a contract for escalation and approval. If you can do that all in one place without having to open up your email, open up the draft, what was the last draft? What did this person say about the last draft? And just keep it in one environment and have everyone bought into that environment. I think that's what legal tech is all about. It's how do we empower lawyers to use technology to make their lives easier so that they can spend more time on the law and advising and working with the business and doing things that are fun that they like to do and less time doing administrative tasks. And I think that kind of probably runs across the spectrum of legal tech. It's that's what we're here to do. We're here to empower you and we're here to help you. And if you're concerned that we're going to take your job away, then ask that question and let us tell you why we're just not there yet. Yeah, and and if you really are still not convinced and you think that it's going to take your job away, then maybe it should, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, t- it's time to take some continuing education or yeah. upskill, as they say. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Um, exactly. And I laugh, but people who have said those things to me are super intelligent. Really They're good really lawyers. good lawyers, like yeah. really, really smart, good lawyers. So that's why it makes me laugh even more. It's like yeah. literally nobody can do what you can do. Like you right. are one of only a thousand people who can do this particular thing in this way. Um, so I think it's, you know, we're afraid of what we don't know. Right. So exactly. that's probably just what it is. So um, alternative careers in legal. You've, you've lived it. You know, would would love to get your take on, um, you know, on on how you think about your career. You know, I mean, especially like you go into law school, and there's kind of this normal normal path that's like, you go to law school, you get out, you get a job at a firm, you're an associate, they beat the crap out of you, and then you become a senior associate and junior partner partner, and then you know maybe one day you end up going in house to like slow down. Like that was kind of the, uh, you know, the traditional like career path. Um, but you know, obviously like, you know, I'm, I've spent my entire career in house, which has been great. I haven't, haven't had to deal with the law firm culture, but, and, and I know a number of my classmates are doing things that have nothing to do with the law and they're extremely successful in doing it. Um, but would love to hear sort of how, how your thinking evolved over time as, as you went on with your career. And obviously, you know, coming from the background, like having an accounting background is a really interesting, I was a finance undergrad and having that, like that sort of business side mentality, I'm sure helped, helped to focus a little bit of how you thought about your career path, but would love to, love to hear from you about, about your thinking on career pathing. Yeah. Uh, it's an evolution. So I would say that it's still something that's evolving to this day. And even though I went into big consulting, it's the same kind of theory that you described on, you know, you're on a path like you were a consultant and then a senior consultant and then a director and you keep working all the way to what's um, equivalent to a partner at a law firm. And 
I did that for, I think, probably seven, eight, nine years. I was sort of like on that trajectory and on that path and thinking that that is what it was. And I, it, it's really hard to pull yourself out of the school mentality, right? Like you're K through 12 and then many of us go to college and then many of us go to grad school and there's always that defined next step. And so I think that what just sitting there and you start your career and you say, wait, I can either take the path at the company that I'm at and just keep working up the chain. And, you know, I did have really amazing performance managers along the way who really helped me frame issues and understand that, you know, what I could do at the company versus what I could do on my own or somewhere else. And and that really is like the, the best kind of manager is somebody who, of course, wants you to stay and wants to continue working with you, but realizes that with them not being fully transparent and giving you all the information that they wouldn't be doing their job as a manager. Um, but it, it just it evolves over time. And for me, it was sort of feeling like, you know, you're a lawyer and so you have to be a lawyer. You're a CPA, so you have to be an accountant. And that's just not true. I think it's the rhetoric that a lot of us heard for a long time. And I understand it. Like there is an element of you commit to something and you want to see it all the way through. When people need to make a change they know. So like I don't have to tell somebody it's time for you to make it. Sometimes I do, but very (laughs) rarely. Most people know. Like I've either I'm at maximum growth. um, I have nowhere. I have nothing else to learn in this role. I've, you know, expressed that I want to try something new and I'm not going to be able to do it at the current place that I'm at. Um, or I I want to jump off a cliff and do something completely different. So right. I think it's listening to that intuition. And then the evolution process, it's having conversations. It's talking to people. I know that you're the chief legal officer. I really don't know what that means unless I ask you questions about what that is. Like, right. what does your day-to-day look like? What What are your top priorities? What are your top concerns? What does your team look like for me to really understand, you know, how you work within the team? Um, and so I think anyone that's thinking about anything related to careers, if you're curious, ask somebody. Ask the question like, hey, do you have 15 minutes to chat over coffee? I'd really like to understand what legal tech sales mean uh, means, what customer success means, like what is what does a marketing um, director do? And right, so right. you have to have those conversations to educate yourself to say, I want to talk to more people like that or no, this is not interesting <laughs> at all and go in a different direction. So I think like the takeaway is really keeping an open mind and listening to your gut. Like if it's telling you something, it's it's really easy to shut it down and say, no, I worked really hard to get to this point and I'm just going to keep on the path. It's harder to listen. It's harder to have conversations. It takes a lot of energy to work a 12-hour day and then still take an hour at night to email people or research. But I really think that that's the way to get to where you want to be. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I think um, one thing that one thing that, I, that really resonated with me was I think people have – People have to talk to somebody who's doing the job that you think you want. A hundred percent. Because, you know, I think if a lot of people recognized what that job entailed, right? Like, I mean, I want to be chief legal officer of, of whatever. Like, uh, do you? Like, is is that really what you want? You know, um, I want to be a partner at a law firm. 
you think about that, like, is that really what you want where you're dealing with everything that comes along with that? Like early in, you know, early in your career, early in even your legal education, right? Even before then, something brought you there, right? Maybe you watched a movie about lawyers and then you wanted to be a litigator. And so you're like, I'm going to law school and you can't handle the truth and all that. And then you're like, there's absolutely no way I'm going to be a litigator. Right. right. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> like, it's not happening. And then there's some people who are like, yeah, I love it. Like, it's it's the best. And, mm-hmm. and that's great. But the key is to talk to people and understand, like, what what does that day in and day out look like? Because it oftentimes from the outside looks a lot rosier than it is. Yeah, there's right? there's challenges in every role. I yeah. don't care what it is that you're doing. There are challenges and understanding those challenges from the point of view of somebody who's facing them every single day. It makes you think, like, is that a challenge that I'm going to be um, that I want to be facing, that I'm going to be good at coming up with solutions to overcome those challenges? Do I have the skill set that will, you know, translate into making me successful in this role? Because, yeah, there's a lot of fun things about every kind of role, but without thinking about what those challenges are and whether you're equipped, not necessarily whether you can or can't, but do you want to be working through those challenges? Um, And, you know, that could be for a specific role. It could be at a specific organization. Every organization, you know, every structure has, if you're at a big publicly traded company versus a 10-person startup, like those challenges look very different. So I think that's something to keep in mind as well. It's not just the role, it's also the company. Um, And to me, all of this that we're talking about, it all comes back to the people. So that is the most important part of the equation for anything that any of us do. Do we like showing up and working with the people who we work with every day? And if the answer is yes, you are 10 steps ahead of everyone else. So I always tell people it's all about the people. The people are the part of the job that make those. Are, that's why we wake up. That's why we show up. That's why we come to our laptops ready to go. It's because we like working with our team. Yeah, exactly. So how did uh, how did your accounting background help you uh, just in in thinking about your career path? It's um, it's very analytical in nature. You know, it, it shares a lot of the same traits with lawyering. It's just it's almost like putting numbers to lawyering in a way because it's, um, you know, I love being able to look at financial statements and read the footnotes. And I may not understand exactly what it's saying, but kind of knowing where to go to read up on a particular issue and understanding like how that applies. So on their face, like when you're actually learning it and sitting for exams, they seem quite different, but I find them to be really um, nice skill sets that intertwine in a lot of ways. But I I was trained up in forensics. So yeah. it's really just like taking a pile of 200 documents and understanding, okay, what do the transactions look like? What should they have looked like? What did we expect to happen? What actually happened? Are there market factors involved or is something nefarious happening or some combination of all of that? So just really, I think being detail oriented was like a very, like knowing that the numbers had to foot, the column had to add up, it needed, everything needed to square up. And so really um, having that attention to detail and being focused on, you know, what's going on, finding patterns. I think that's where it's been most helpful. 
But that, it's a it's a weird it's a it, it is just an interesting um, interesting people and forensic accountants are the coolest kind of accountants. Yeah. I've 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 been fortunate enough to meet a couple of them throughout my career and uh, it's it's always been a lot of fun to work with them and and forensic accountants bring a a very very interesting angle. They do. And, you know, we're it's so similar to lawyering in many ways. Like you're doing document review. You're looking for different things, but you're doing you're doing document review just as the lawyers do doc review. And you're looking for, you know, what set off this transaction and kind of tracing it all the way back. And, yeah, I think um, if anyone has a forensic accountant in their life, like we have stories, like yeah. lots of stories <laughs> about you thought that the expense account was doing this because of Y, but really it was because of Z and let's get into Z and just things that you, you know, you almost don't want to see, but they're just there. And people just, you know, for the most part, I think everyone in my sphere who I've ever interacted with is not doing nefarious things. But when you're called in as a forensic accountant to do an investigation, Sometimes, you know, everything checks out. Other times, you know, someone went rogue with a company credit card and everything in between. Yeah. Uh, one of the forensic accountants that I worked with, um, he was he was the FBI agent who led the forensic accounting team that ultimately led to uh, the takedown of Full Tilt Poker back in 2011, I want to say, oh, wow. which was uh, which was pretty wild. He's got some pretty interesting stories. Uh there. Um, That's awesome. And I mean, so I was actually working in poker at the time. I was, I was, um, I worked for a company called Everest Gaming. We, we ran online uh, poker rooms and online casinos throughout Europe and the rest of the world. And, um, you know, we weren't operating in the United States, but like poker stars and full tilt were, and they were making like a ton of money off of the United States market. And I remember I was, I was in Las Vegas. I had a meeting with some folks out there and um and one of the uh one of the individuals called up is early morning right uh pacific time calls calls up at like seven in the morning it's like go to fulltilt.com right now and i go to full tilt and it just has the the doj logo up there is this you know this domain's been seized by the fbi blah 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 pretty wild so but yeah this guy this guy was um you know it was a few several years later i ended up working with uh with the guy who was the lead fbi agent wow i'm sure he has some interesting stories from those first few days and really um yeah that that's pretty pretty crazy stuff yeah that's a really cool experience um wow yeah but getting getting back to it you know thinking about um thinking about how your experiences in the consulting world have helped you you know obviously dealing with people is really important did you find that you your your interactions with people were a little bit more difficult being on the forensic accounting side like were you were you like actively investigating people or like how did how did that work and then how can you use or how did you use maybe some of the more challenging relationships during that time and now your current role. Those investigations ran the gamut. And I, when I started on day one, I was fresh out of school. So I wasn't getting in front of anyone or right. doing any of the interviewing for the first few years as time went on. Um, I think, you know, 
yes, definitely challenging interviews, um, you know, working alongside big law firms where there were lots of personalities and lots of different people from different organizations all needing to come together. And then the team dynamic, you know, we could we would have teams of 20 people working on one project. And at certain points in time, I'd be managing maybe half of them. So call it a team of 10. And just really, um, I wouldn't say anyone like particularly like difficult, but people are different. They have different things that motivate them. Um, and I think that like what you're getting to is the, the people part of all of what we do is more important than any of us would probably want to admit because we show up and we're like, there's a task at hand, there's an investigation or there's a legal issue and we need to find the answer and we need to get to work on this. And, you know, you take this and start working on that and you grab these documents and start putting them together in Excel. You, you know, we're, you're going to be helping with the presentation to the board. So, you get to work on the PowerPoint and, you know, getting in there and really delegating and work, work, work. And I think that it's just, I guess, to bring it full circle, like everybody is different. Everybody's has things that they're dealing with in their office environment that are very stressful. We have no idea a lot of the times what people are dealing with outside of the office. So I think just approaching like what I found the common theme to success is just approaching people in an empathetic way, in a compassionate way, remembering that we're all very stressed. We all have a lot on our plates. We all want to be strong performers. Um, but taking the moment to ask um, somebody, hey, is everything okay today? It sounds silly, but we I, I'm guilty of it too. Just go, go, go. We need to get the work product. We need to finish this. We need to turn this around. The deadline's on Friday. But if you notice something and you pick up on something or, you know, I don't think anybody is going to be offended if you just say, hey, just want to make sure everything's good with you. If there's anything I can do. And I learned that by watching really great senior people manage teams. And I realized over time it's like to build that relationship and to be a good listener to hear people out, even when you can't solve their problems for them. Like, I hear you. Like, that's really frustrating. This is a way that I think about it. These are some of the tools I'm using to overcome that. Um, or I've escalated this as high as I can escalate it. There is nothing more that I can do, but I understand why you're frustrated. Like, right. making people feel heard, just being a, a good, you know, citizen of the in community, it's like right. it goes further than people would think. Yeah, I think about it in terms of in-house and and I tell people a lot like the way that the way that I interact with different people on my team, particularly, you know, uh, dealing with lawyers versus non-lawyers. I deal differently with the lawyers than I do with the non-lawyers, like uh, just in the way that we speak, because we're largely people who understand that conflict is not like an emotional thing for us. Mm -hmm. And like oftentimes abruptness is not confused with being rude right <laughs> you're just like well yeah like ask the question and be like that's not the question i asked you know what question i asked <laughs> like oh okay yeah and like it doesn't rattle but if i like went into a meeting with some you know some folks on the product or engineering team and took that same approach it probably wouldn't be very well received Correct. right <laughs> yeah you have to know your audience you gotta know for your sure. audience yeah. yeah and there is like there is just a level yeah, lawyers talking to lawyers. It's abrupt. It's sometimes yeah. you feel like you're being deposed. Right, <laughs> like, which isn't which isn't terrible. 
No, you know? no, it's fine. It's yeah. just it's a different style. It's a different style yeah. of communication. And it's um, yeah, lawyer to lawyer is I think there's sometimes like a basic understanding. But I would argue that anybody who works frequently with lawyers is on that same wavelength as well. Yeah. So I just consulting days like it was, you know, we all most of us in that camp were not lawyers, but we we knew the type. Right. We knew how to communicate <laughs> and we were on the same wavelength. You know, I think particularly internally within a team, um, it's important that you have a baseline level of trust, right? The only the only way that you could be that direct with people and and you know make it feel like a conversation is uh, you know is a is a deposition or or, or cross examination is if you have the trust. It's like, listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to shred you here. Like, I'm trying to get to I'm trying to get to a particular answer. Yes. And I'm just testing it. Like you, you know that. Like please know that, right? <laughs> right. And I think setting the stage is super important. I'm here to help you. And I think from the in-house perspective, whether you're in-house lawyer, legal ops, like I am here to help because that's truly what the job function is. And yeah. you're bringing up points or you know the the company's risk tolerance is X. But let's talk about that. Like yeah. let's talk about whether like what the facts are here. Like what are we looking at? What are we going to be doing? And just opening with a conversation rather than even if in your gut you're like, I don't know that we can do this. Like, I'm here to help. Tell me about your problem. Tell me what's going on here. I think those are the lawyers who earn the trust from the yeah. business. I think they're the lawyers who have the reputation for being business friendly. And it's the outcome could be the same, but the way that you get there is really important. And trust is the foundation for all of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you you have the ability, like when you're particularly like that first interaction or the first several interactions with, um, you know, with, a, you know, in an in-house environment, maybe with your CEO or with the head of a business unit or whatever it is, you have that opportunity to, to really learn. Yes. Right. And just oftentimes the problems that are brought to the legal team are not even legal problems. They're right? frequently not. Yeah. yeah. Or, or the solution, uh, the solution to the problem is, like, yeah, it's problematic legally, but let's do it anyway. You yeah. know, as long as it's not actually illegal, right? But yeah. it's just like, yeah, there's risk. You might get sued. You might do this. You might do that. Like, it might be a problem here, there, or wherever. It's like, yeah, but there's a compelling business interest. So let's, yeah. like, but you never get to that point of, like, understanding whether there's a compelling business interest without asking that first question that you asked. Right. And then also setting the foundation of trust where they feel comfortable coming to you to say, hey, I, you know, I think this could be concerning, but what do you think, you know, we could do to offset some of this risk or is there anything we can do? Um, you in the legal function, you want people to come to you. You really want to have that open door. You don't want people either being scared of you, thinking you're the department of no, as they like to say, coming out of the gate with an open mind, I'm here to learn, I'm here to work alongside you. I, as your lawyer, I want you to be successful. I want you to be getting, you know, winning all of your projects, bringing in new deals, um, but let's be thoughtful about how we're doing that. And, you know, every business owner, uh, you know, owner of a business unit, they, they know generally what risks are out there, but the law changes quickly. Regulations change quickly. That's right. And it's our job to make them aware of what's out there, what those developments are, 
in a friendly, helpful way. So it's it's always going to be a challenge, but I do think coming out of the gate strong and really setting the stage that we are um, we're in a service industry, even in house, it's we're here to really be a partner, um, and that's ultimately what makes the business successful and what makes the business thrive. That's right. I you know I say I say this a lot. Um, I think it's really important that in the event that the business does take you know, something that could be potentially risky from a legal perspective that more often than not, it's not like a one and done where you make this one foot fault and the whole house of cards comes crashing down. Right. It usually, uh, and I'll, I'll steal a phrase from aviation. It's not the first mistake that kills you. It's the 10. And so like having some confidence that as an attorney, you understand that there are different exit points down that path that can change the risk calculation where it's like, yeah, let's, let's give it a shot and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Right. And if, you know, it, maybe there's a, maybe there's a 50, 50 chance that we may have some legal issues with this. Let's, let's try it. You know, maybe yeah. it's 70, 30 that we will, maybe it's 90, 10 that we will. I will there's that 10% that we don't. Right. For sure. <laughs> so let's give it, a, let's give it a shot. You know, I think that what you describe is exactly where we want to end up. But as somebody who started very junior and learned along the way, it's really hard when you're first stepping into that in-house role because you're thinking, well, if the house of cards, which you you don't understand that 10th step yeah. from where you sit, you think it's step one. Right. And so I think that was, it's a, it was a learning process for me. I think that's a learning process for every person who is starting out in house, um, on where the line is and where it makes sense to push and where it doesn't make sense and where it makes sense to, you know, speak up when you have something to say, but you can only sit there having years of experience of advising to be able to get to where you are, to which I say, maybe we should be having those conversations with people when they're first starting out in that capacity to say, hey, if you're a little unsure, that's when you ask the question to, you know, your senior counsel or, you know, whoever sits um, in the seat a little bit further along than you are, because it is really important. And um, coming down hard and saying, like, there's a line and we can't cross it because we can't without any, like, teeth right. behind it because we're gonna get sued right oh, okay you're gonna lots of people get sued yes all the time every day uh, i mean <laughs> that isn't that why we're all here yeah. um <laughs> but yeah it's it's not gonna it's not gonna make you any friends doing right. that so it's hard and then so when you were when you were doing the forensic accounting side how often was it that you encountered one mistake that was that that resulted in some cataclysmic event um uh, for yeah. for the for the the client this is a great question because, you know, never say never. I am sure there is that one. Sure. Well, yeah, I actually can think of one mistake <laughs> that somebody told me that, you know, turned into a absolute nightmare. Um, sure. there's, but there's those always, they're isolated yeah, and they're few and far one. between. But there yeah. is one. Yeah. And I guess you, you can't live your life thinking like, this decision I may make could sink the company. Like if it really could, then, you know, get your stakeholders involved and have a real conversation yeah, about two, that. Two things, go talk to outside counsel if you are unsure around the law and two, go talk to your 
your peers in the organization. That's exactly right. But for most things, we are never even going to get close to even even a lawsuit or a litigation. Like yeah. we're never going to get close to that. Like there are so many stops along the way before someone actually files a claim. So many conversations that will happen that yeah. I think that, you know, when you're sitting in law school and you're reading those case books, your whole brain is focused around the case books. But yeah. in real life, it works quite differently. So yeah. I just wouldn't I wouldn't be out there making decisions, thinking that the whole weight of the world is on your shoulders, because that's just for for ninety nine point nine percent of us. It's just not the truth. Yeah, exactly. Unless you're in a B2C and then there's a class action case that like you don't get any heads up on it. Just like you get served process, you know, just. Yeah. There you go. And then but again, then you just deal with it. You handle it. You're it a out. lawyer. You're supposed to handle it. Exactly. Like, that's yeah. your job. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think like we're talking about the vast majority, yeah. like yeah. there's definitely um, there are situations on the fringes like that could be extremely serious. Um, but for for the most part, I, I don't think you can operate in that fight or flight environment yeah. at all times because <laughs> you're just going to like burn yourself out. That's exactly right. So let's get to some questions. I know uh, Alyssa, Alyssa's got at least a couple. I think she's kind of waving at me over here. What is one career option that you didn't know about early in your career that you wish you knew about sooner? That's a good one. Um, and maybe I'm in the dark ages here, but legal operations is something that I was really not aware of until my time at Priori. Yeah. And those are the people who I work with pretty much, you know, at least half the time I'm working with, you know, director of legal ops um, and such an interesting career path for both lawyers and non-lawyers. It's you could have a lawyering background. Um, you could have a data analytics background. You could have an accounting, marketing. It's really about making sure that the legal team is um, focused on the right tasks, that the workflows are working in a way that makes sense for the team, that you understand the priorities of the GC and you're out there with your own team and then with other stakeholders, making sure that legal is you know, effectively advising. Yep. Uh, but I think that that is such a fascinating career path. I think for anyone who's interested to check out Clock, yep. um, the what is it? The Corporate Legal Operations Consortium. That's right. They're yeah. the, you know, the prominent um, player in that space. They have such interesting information on their website. And the Clock 12 kind of outlines all the different things that mm -hmm. you would look at. And so that's been new to me that I think about sometimes, like with my lawyering background and my analytical background, like I, I don't have a stomach for what they do because it is just so challenging and taxing, but yeah. I have a lot of respect for it. And I, I think oh, yeah. that it's not as widely publicized as those of us who like know the world would, would think. Yeah, exactly. If you were between two roles, how would you make a final decision? Is there a deal breaker you look for when it comes to professional development? I think that it really, for, for any career decision that you're weighing and the deal breaker piece of the puzzle as well. I, I'm a firm believer in the people is having the conversations and having honest, real conversations about who you are, what you're capable of, what is the need of the role. When you look at different roles and they ask you to do 87 different tasks, like I do think the conversation of 
what is it that what are the, you know, three or four characteristics that will really make somebody effective in this role and getting the answer from the manager or the head of HR or whomever you're speaking with, it all boils down to the people. Like you want to make sure you're entering an environment where you can be successful. And then on the flip side of that, the deal breaker, it's people who are not going to, you know, even in the the interview or the qualifying process, like they don't seem helpful. They they are not answering your questions that right. you're asking where it's kind of a yes or no question or they're not being forthcoming with, with information that you would need. Um, or you catch wind that, you know, people aren't treating each other with respect or there's a lot of internal turmoil. Like I think anytime you're considering anything, related to um, transition or movement. Um, it could be the dream role and it could be the dream title and everything about it is perfect. If the people are not the right people and they're not going to be supportive and helpful, it's it's not a good move. Yeah, the dream becomes a nightmare pretty quick. Exactly, yeah. yep. Advice on how to seek a mentor, any networking tips? I think that that's a really good question it, because it's so complex. It's not like, hey, Tim, do you want to be my mentor? Like, right. let, let's, <laughs> you know, you, you can't say that to somebody. And I think that it, it's uh, more informal than we would like to believe. I think that if I had a pressing question that I just, you know, I knew that you understood the landscape. I would say to you like, hey, you know, a client of mine is facing this problem. This is what I think the answer is, but I'm not really sure. Could you weigh in on that? Like, I find that to be mentorship, like maybe in its plainest form, but it's still it's um, empower yourself to reach out to people who you have relationships with and have those conversations, whether it's on your own behalf or asking for a client or, you know, something that if, if there was like a, you know, I don't understand this about CLM. Could you break this down and explain to me like what that functionality means? Like mentorship. So right. I think it's just understanding that, you know, you don't need to have a coffee on the calendar for one hour every other month because, quite frankly, most people don't have time for that kind of investment. Right. But you have enough people in your network where you can reach out and say, I know we haven't spoken in five years. I have a really specific question about X. And that can come, you know, a text message. It can be an email. It can be a LinkedIn direct message. If you are not somebody who feels comfortable with that, hard truth, you have to get comfortable with it. Like yeah. there's no way to have people sit down and have healthy conversation without asking them to sit down and have healthy conversation. Um, the LinkedIn universe is ripe with mentorship. And I don't mean asking somebody who you don't know on LinkedIn to have a conversation, but sure. somebody posts something very interesting and you're, you write to the author and say, I've always thought X, like, what do you think about that? And you'd be surprised how many thought leaders are out there who can kind of weigh in and you can kind of build your own little network and community out there. So yeah. I think it's, you know, be open-minded, ask for advice um, when it's somebody who you know and who you think would be receptive and just don't get in your own head about asking for the help that you need when you need it. Yeah, and I would say uh, one one recommendation that I have for every sort of every in-house attorney early in your career, early in, in their career, is find somebody, even within your own organization, that is not a lawyer, 
who is a successful person in business, doesn't matter whether that person's in marketing, sales, finance, whatever, um, find somebody else to help you get a different perspective, right? Being an effective lawyer is all about perspectives. And so if you're really trying to target like a well, you know, a well-rounded developmental group of people around you who can help support your growth, like getting, you know, getting out of like, all of my mentors need to be in a position that I want to be in one day. It's like your mentors should be people that will help you get to the position where you want to be, not people who are already there necessarily or ever were there or would ever be there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You don't know what the future holds for you. So it's really hard. Like you may think in this moment you want to be there, but you may take some twists and turns along the way and having all those different kinds of people with different experience uh, can only help that process and won't hinder it in any way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Aaron, thanks so much for joining. This has been an awesome conversation. It's been really fun. And uh, for everybody who's uh, watching, listening, if you like this, uh, give us a thumbs up. Give us a follow on all the socials and we will see you next time. And thanks again, Alyssa, as always. Thank you.